Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, I began discussing some of the helpful background information to help you listeners tackle the challenge of reading Heart of Darkness. Now, Joseph Conrad skillfully packed his novella with the density of an African wilderness. So, since the character Marlowe is dominant in four of Conrad's works, and if you remember from last time, I did mention that uh, Marlowe appears first in Youth, then he's in Heart of Darkness, he's also in Lord Jim, and then there's a fourth novel called Chance, and we're only going to be covering three of those, Youth, Heart of Darkness, and then, of course, Lord Jim. Now, it is good to know that Marlowe is the mask for Conrad himself. So essentially, the depth of thinking and observations by Marlowe are Conrad's. So for today's program, what I want to do is I want to continue giving you some interesting background on this amazing, thought-provoking story. And I know that the more background you understand, the more that you will really appreciate it. Now, I just want to read you a quote from the very, uh, very opening of Heart of Darkness, And uh, the reason I want to do this is I want to show you that that Marlowe uses fact as a structure for his fiction. And uh, let me just start reading this uh, this first quote. It says, The Nelly, a cruising yawl, swung to her anchor without a flutter of the sails and was at rest. The flood had made, the wind was nearly calm, and being bound down the river, the only thing for it was to come to and wait for the turn of the tide. So he's really giving you a a great description of the Thames, and the Thames uh, is connected directly to the ocean, and so so there there is a you know there's a tide, there's a flow, there's water flows in, the water flows out. So he's really giving you some really good facts there. I'm going to skip down just a little bit uh, to the third paragraph on the page I'm reading. It says the director of companies was our captain and our host. Then he goes on to say, We four affectionately watched his back as he stood in the bows looking to seaward. On the whole uh, river, there was nothing that looked half so nautical. He resembled a pilot, which to seamen is trustworthiness personified. It was difficult to realize his work was out there in the luminous estuary, but behind him with the brooding gloom. Now, he goes on to say, this is Conrad writing, between, uh, between us there was, as I've already said somewhere, the bond of the sea. Now, I think it's interesting. I, I've been uh, reading the Norton Critical Edition uh, of Heart of Darkness, and also included in this uh, particular version is the Congo Diary. And I just wanted to show you that, you know, here, uh, I know I've read this so many times, I was thinking, well, how did he come up with the name the Nelly? And, of course, we know it's a, it's a yacht and all that. Well, uh, reading this, uh, this uh, let's say, the, this critical edition of, of uh, Norton on Heart of Darkness, I found out some facts. 
And so I thought, this is really interesting. I thought I'd pass it on to you. All right, where did you get the name Nelly? And uh, this is really interesting. And let me just read to you from this critical edition. It says, the name of a small yacht owned by Conrad's friend, George Fountaine Ware Hope. So, so here, here, he's writing a piece of fiction, and you could think, well, what did he come up with the name? The name is based on a real yacht, and he spent a lot of time with this, uh, with this friend on this yacht. Uh, the critical edition goes on to say he was an ex-seaman and company director with whom Conrad made several excursions along the Thames estuary. Hope owned the Nelly from 1889 to 1892, and given Conrad's absences from England, these outings took place in 1891. And so, so here you go. The the Nelly is actually a real uh, cruising yawl, or it's a it's a um, a yacht. And so, uh, of course, that you know they uh, spent a lot of time on it. Um, I I think uh, I'll come back to this a little bit later. But Gravesend is obviously it's a it's really a port in um, in England. It's on off the Thames, so you know he's he's uh, giving you some really good facts there. But notice uh, down in that third paragraph, he talks about we four. Now the the thing is, I think that what the what this critical edition does, it does kind of connect us back with youth. And here's what it says about that statement: we four. It says here and at the opening of youth, Conrad recalls convivial excursions on the Thames in 1891 with his friends Hope, and we just talked about Hope, Edward Gardner Mears, and uh, uh, he was a meat salesman, William Brock Keane, an accountant, and aside from Keane, all were ex-seamen and different times in the 1870s had sailed in the Duke of Sutherland. So these all men were, these, these men were all merchant seamen. And so, so he's, he's, now he gives them different names uh, in his, his novel, but these were four friends, and they actually spent a lot of time, you know, sailing uh, around the Thames. And so, so uh, uh, this, is, this is nothing, um, uh, it's, it's not just all fact. I mean, excuse me, it's just an all fiction. It is, it is based on fact. And the, the reason I'm bringing this out is, is I just want you to see that, that Marlowe uh, you know, really is a mask for Conrad. All right. There's also he, he makes uh, he makes some comments down there. He says between us there was I, as I have already said somewhere, and essentially what he's referring back to is his book on or the or the short story on youth. And essentially, if you remember all the way back to youth, it says we all began life in the merchant service. Between the five of us, there was the strong bond of the sea and also the fellowship of the craft, which no amount of enthusiasm for yachting, cruising, and so on can give, since one is only the amusement of life and the other is life itself. So now that's a, that's a direct quote from, from youth. But the, 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 the point is, remember now that this whole opening of Heart of Darkness, it's a frame. And this is this is this is not Marlowe speaking. This is another narrator speaking, and obviously what it what it is. I mean, when he says we we four effectively watched his back as we stood in the bows looking seaward, and he says uh, between us there was as I've already said somewhere. So so here both the narrator that we don't know who it is, 
and Marlowe are the really it's they're both Conrad, and that's that's the point that I've been wanting to make is that that uh, um, he is he's really going to be using a lot of his own personal information in this story, and and again he loved the sea, and uh, uh, he also did spend time in the Congo. Now, I also think it's interesting, and I'm going to just read another part from this first part of the story, where he, he goes and he begins to talk about the, all these uh, fellows. He said one was a lawyer, uh, one was an accountant. Now, one of these men really was an accountant, and like I said, the other one was a meat salesman. But, uh, you know, the lawyer, that's fictional. You know, he, in some ways, you know, we have to realize that he's going to incorporate some fiction into it. But here's how Conrad describes Marlowe. He says, Marlowe sat cross-legged right aft, leaning against the mizzenmast. Now, if you, if you know your parts of the ship, we've been covering Moby Dick in my English lit class, so, so I know where the mizzenmast now is on the ship. <laughs> and so it's not too far away from, it's, it's behind the mainmast. So, so anyway, here's, here's uh, Marlowe. And said he had sunken cheeks, a yellow complexion, a straight back, an ascetic aspect, and with his arms dropped, the palm of his hands outward resembled an idol. And so essentially what he's saying is that, that uh, Marlowe looked a lot like the Buddha, <laughs> you know, the, the Buddha from Buddhism, the man that started Buddhism. And so, so now think about what I've been saying about Marlowe is Conrad. So... So this is Conrad. Is Conrad talking about himself here? And in some ways, I think he is, because we know the Buddha was uh, 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 definitely, you know, he was a very introspective man. Uh, he wanted to become enlightened. And uh, also, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting. Isn't that what Conrad was? I mean, he was very introspective. Uh, he's, he, uh, in this, in, certainly in this novella, he's He's dealing with deep, deep concepts. Uh, you know, it's it's like he's he's really uh, deep into self-reflection, and so so I think it's funny, not funny. I think it's it's actually unique, and it's something I think we need to understand if we're really going to uh, get get to the nuts and bones, and or of uh, of uh, you know this this story. Uh, here's what this. Um, uh, these notes say about Heart of Darkness. It says, Conrad devises for Marlowe a partly ironic variation of one of the traditional poses of the Buddha and the enlightened one. If you've seen ever statues of the Buddha, the, and they sit there, the, the statues sit there, and they have their, their uh, thumb and their middle finger touching each other, and they're, you know, they're, they're uh, actually, it's like an open position of accepting, I guess, uh, spiritual knowledge. But remember now, the Buddha was also the enlightened one. He was the founder of Buddhism. Uh, he depicted uh, he was depicted as sitting on a lotus blossom. He was in a cross leg position of meditation. But but I think here's what this note says is most important. It says the most sacred symbol in Buddhism, the lotus flower, variously signifies emergence into light from darkness, or paradisical beauty, purity, and spiritual grace. So, so I don't think it's by chance that that Conrad, you know, explains Marlowe as the Buddha, because in some ways it is Marlowe that does bring light on all the darkness that's in the Congo. I mean, he's telling this story, 
And so, so it's like he wants to cast a light on it or he wants us to understand from it. So, so in many ways, I had never seen this before. I never thought of it quite that way. But uh, in many ways, you know, here the Congo is, was considered very dark, dark, the dark continent it was even called. And here Marlowe's coming in, and uh, before he goes out, he's going to have, well, certainly he'll be enlightened about what was really going on there, but also he's going to bring some light to the darkness or maybe bring understanding to the darkness. So, so I, th- I thought that was really fascinating to, to begin with. And so, so uh, you know, it's, it's just really, I, I think, just kind of fascinating to have, you know, um, some of those thoughts in mind as you start reading Heart of Darkness. Now, the, the, the next point I want to make is, uh, and I want to take it from G. Jean Aubrey's book on, uh, you know, Conrad's uh, life and letters. And uh, Jean Aubrey really gives a lot of detail. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was one of Conrad's best friends, by the way. And uh, uh, they, they actually worked together in, um, you know, translating uh, books into French and things like that. So, so, so they were really pretty close. And the, the thing is that with what G. Jean Aubrey does in his diary, or maybe his, let's say, his, his book about Conrad, is he, he really uses his letters, you know, as his frame of reference. And he uses the letters of Conrad and, uh, to, to tell us the biography. And it's really, it's really quite, uh, I think it's really quite fascinating. Now, um, uh, I wanted to correct something that I had said last time, and this is probably just a small correction. Uh, we were talking about Conrad and having re- relations on the continent, relations uh, in Europe. And I said that he had an aunt. And the thing is, is I, I could have misled you to thinking this was maybe uh, you know, one of his mom's sisters or one of his dad's sisters. And it really, it really was, she was really an aunt by marriage. And actually, she was French. And I'm going to read this um, to you from this Gigi and Aubrey book. It says, as a matter of fact, Joseph Conrad himself possessed an aunt by marriage in Brussels. Uh, she was Marguerite Poradowska. She was a French woman, and she was married to a Pole. And uh, uh, she was actually the daughter of a man of considerable note in the scientific world. Her father was Emile Cachet and was herself beginning to acquire some reputation as a novelist. So, so he does take advantage of, of her uh, when he wants to go to the Congo. And I do want to now just uh, get in and uh, talk a little bit more about how he even got into the Congo. So here's what, what Aubrey says um, uh, about Conrad. And remember, if you remember from the last uh, podcast, and if you haven't heard that one, you probably ought to listen to it uh, you know, before you even maybe finish listening to this one. But remember, uh, Conrad had resigned his, uh, let's say, his status in doing the, uh, the merchant shipping in, let's say, Australia, you know, in the east. He had resigned all that. And then he was looking for another ship, and he was in Europe. Uh, he actually had become a, a, an English citizen at the time, and, and he, uh, he couldn't find any work. And so it was like almost a year before he could find work. But uh, the, the, the one thing that uh, Aubrey brings out, what I think is interesting, um, is that 
that he would travel through London. He would he would just you know it's it's kind of like he was floating through London instead of on the ocean. And uh, uh, at, at one point he sees um, a map of the Congo. And one of the things this is again this is like uh, 1889 time frame. And here's what Aubrey brings out, and this is a matter of history I think we need to have for this book. And Aubrey says, uh, this is page 121, if you ever decide to buy the set, there's a two-volume set, and like I said, it's, it's not going to be uh, inexpensive for you. Uh, you might find a good set for about 60 bucks. So, uh, but I, I thought it was worth it, and I, uh, I actually found a fine set myself. But here's what Aubrey said. He said, it must not be forgotten that in 1889, the Congo was the topic of the day. Since 1875, the date when King Leopold II had founded the International Association for the Civilization of Central Africa, the center of Africa had been very much in men's minds. Stanley's expedition from Zanzibar to the Lower Congo during the years 1876 and 1877 had aroused at once the deepest interest and the most violent greed. And so, so we, we will be covering a little bit more of the history of what Leopold did in the Congo. And remember now that, that, uh, that Marlowe does accept, you know, command of a steamship for the Belgian, uh, for, for actually it's for this organization. And uh, I'm going to show you here in just a few seconds that, that this is exactly what Marlowe got, in, not Marlowe, what Conrad got himself into. And so I, I just want to uh, uh, keep going here. This is, I'm going to slip over to page 122. It says, The atmosphere of adventure and discovery revived Conrad's childish enthusiasms and kindled the imagination of the young Pole, in whom the spirit of a novelist was just beginning to awake. He suddenly took it into his head that he must command a steamship on the Congo. And so, so remember, he, he began his first novel at the same time when he was in London waiting for a ship, waiting for you know, some type of a commission to get back at, on the sea. And uh, uh, he could not find one, but all of a sudden he gets caught up in the whole ideas of imperialism and colonialism and, of course, uh, even from his diary, a personal record, he said from a very young age, uh, when he looked at maps of Africa, he wanted to go there. And so, so all this, as Aubrey points out, um, it just really hit him. And you can almost see that. He's kind of bored. And all of a sudden, wow, I have, I have the chance to go to the Congo. Now, Aubrey goes on and says, For a man accustomed for the greater part of a sailor's life to selling boats of respectable tonnage, it was undoubtedly a singular idea to take up the command of a miserable little steamboat of 10 or 15 tons. But Conrad's impulses were, as we have often seen, not to be gainsaid. Efforts were made in London, Brussels, and Ghent to obtain for the young man the command that he wished. Through, uh, through his friend Adolf Krieger, Messrs. Barr, Murring and Company of London persuaded uh, Mr. Barr, the maker of Ghent, to ride on Conrad's behalf to Captain Albert Thies, acting manager of the Societe Anonyme Belge pour le commerce du Haut Congo. So in other words, I, I'm sure I just murdered the French there. But this was the society to civilize the Congo. 
And so, uh, uh, as we go through the novel, you're going to we're going to hear more and more about this. And so you can see this is uh, this is reality for Conrad's life, but then he turns it into a novel, and then it's it's probably one of the best uh, pieces of writing you can find in all of it, of English literature. Unless you're a Melville fan like I am, and then you have to wonder if it's not as good as Moby Dick. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm in two, <laughs> I'm in two Siemens books right now. Anyway. Uh, this the, Aubrey goes on and says the command of one of the company's little steamboats necessitated a captain who spoke French. Captain Korosnowski fulfilled this condition perfectly. After an exchange of letters, Joseph Conrad presented himself to Captain Albert Thies at Brussels at the beginning of November, and the impression he made was no doubt entirely favorable, for he was then and there promised by Captain Thies that he would be employed on the Congo as soon as a post fell vacant in the company's flotilla. So so that's a little different than what we're going to read in in Heart of Darkness. But uh, uh, when we get into that, I, I don't want to, to give things away, but when we get into that part of when he finally gets to meet the company in Brussels, it's really, it's really quite interesting. Now... Um, uh, Aubrey goes on to talk about Conrad. He was so excited. He, he had to get rid of all of his other entanglements. He had to let the, the other uh, steamship people know that he wasn't interested in the command now. And uh, he actually did go see this ant. And uh, it, it is funny that, that uh, certainly he brings this all up, you know, in, in Heart of Darkness, but under the, under the name of Marlowe. Says the answer which came by return must have given him to understand that there would still be some considerable further delay, for he decided to start for Poland a few weeks later. So, so obviously there was some uh, contact with Albert Thies, and Albert uh, told him there was going to be a little more delay. So he decided to go to see his aunt in Brussels, and uh, he said, uh, uh, "This is what Aubrey's saying that he uh, he gave his aunt." Um, uh, the the job to look after his affairs in his absence, and then he also was invited to go see his uncle, which he did. He went to Poland, and uh, it, it looks like he was gone, actually, uh, for quite some time. So it was more than a matter of weeks. It was more like a matter of months. But then, uh, when he was with his uncle, then he finally got communication that he had actually been assigned to a steamship. And uh, here's what he wrote one of uh, uh, his cousins. He says, My dear Mariette, I had not been able to write sooner. I have been exceedingly busy and still have a great deal to do. I am starting for the Congo in three days. I have to prepare for a stay of three years in the middle of Africa so you understand that every moment is precious. And so so he's really excited that he's gotten this uh, terrible job of you know, being in command of a steamship ship. So the the point is, uh, uh, once you get into to heart of darkness, you're going to see that there are facts there that are the structure, but there's also fiction. And we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about this when we're actually deeply reading it. Now, Aubrey also um, uh, he connects this right with a, a quote from Heart of Darkness. So I want to. Uh, to just read this to you, to get you interested in reading it. 
Aubrey says the first chapter of Heart of Darkness gives us, under cover of Marlowe, an authentic account of the circumstances which immediately preceded Conrad's departure for Africa and reveals the reasons of the company's sudden haste to engage him as a captain. And uh, this is Marlowe now speaking uh, from the story. He says, I got my appointment, of course, and I got it very quick. It appears the company had received news that one of their captains had been killed in a scuffle with the natives. This was my chance, and it made me the more anxious to go. It was only months and months afterwards when I made the attempt to recover what was left of the body that I heard the original quarrel arose from a misunderstanding about some hens. Yes, two black hens. Frieslevin, that was the fellow's name, a Dane, through, uh, through this, this glorious affair I got my appointment before I had fairly begun to hope for it. So notice he goes on to say, I flew around like mad to get ready. And before 48 hours, I was crossing the channel to show myself to my employers and sign the contract. In a very few hours, I arrived in a city that always makes me think of white and sepulcher. Prejudice, no doubt. I had no difficulty in finding the company's offices. It was the biggest thing in the town, and everybody I met was full of it. They were going to run an overseas empire and make no end of coin by trade. And so, so you can see that there, that is really uh, so much it's based on reality. Now, what I wanted to do also is that um, when uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, that um, Conrad's Congo diary. And, um, you know, you have to remember that, that he's writing this story, you know, later than the events. And so he's, you know, recalling it from mind. He's, he's recalling the events. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he had his own letters, but he also developed a Congo diary from the, uh, when the, from the first time he hit uh, Africa. And I think it's really interesting, and you're going to see elements of this come out in the, in the story. So he arrived, he says, this is from the Congo Diary. This is his own writing. So it's very, it's very uh, short. It's not uh, you know, a lot of detail, a lot of flower. He said he arrived at, at Matadi on the 13th of June, 1890. Now, he's, he's, uh, he's at a station. And, of course, the, that, the term station becomes very interesting in uh, Heart of Darkness. It says, Mr. Gross, chief of the station, retaining us for some reason of his own, made the acquaintance of Roger Casement, which I should consider as a great pleasure under any circumstance, and now it becomes a positive piece of luck. So, so he meets Mr. Gross, and he meets a Roger Casement, and all of a sudden he's, he's very positive about it. He said, uh, he's talking about this Roger Casement, he said he thinks, speaks well, most intelligent and very sympathetic. But then, all of a sudden, he switches, and so he has a different thought. He said, I feel considerably in doubt about the future. Think just now that my life amongst the people around here cannot be very comfortable and tend to avoid acquaintances as much as possible. So already, Conrad, he just, he just arrives in Africa, and already, you know, he's, he's got some second doubts about what he's seeing with the company. He says, uh, through Mr. R.C. Have made the acquaintance of Mr. Underwood, the manager of the English factory, um, hearty and kind, lunched there on the 21st. 24th, Gross and R.C. gone with a, lot, a large lot of ivory down to Bama. 
on return intend to start up the river have been myself packing ivory in casks and there's what he says idiotic employment health good up to now so essentially here he's he's uh, hired on to be a steamship captain and they're having packing ivory on a ship and so so here this is the greed this is the greed he talks about uh in heart of darkness now um Throughout the diary, he talks about what happened. And remember, this is June. Uh, he, he talks about um, he has to now walk even further, deeper into into the Congo, and uh, he runs into mosquitoes. Uh, he can't sleep. He gets sick, and uh, um, you know there there are some other things that really bother him. I'm going to slip down to um, let's see. I think I have it. I'm going to have to bring up my iPad. Um, the the thing is he finds out is the way the the uh, native or indigenous people are treated. So this is Friday, July 4th. He says, left the camp at 6 a.m. after a very unpleasant night, marching across a chain of hills and then in a maze of hills. At 8.15, opened out into the Angeline Plain, took bearings of a break in the chain of mountains on the side, road passes through that sharp accents up very steep hills not very high the higher mountains recede sharply and show a low hilly country he goes on to say saw another dead body lying by the path in an attitude of meditative repose in the evening three women of whom one albina passed by our camp horrid chalky white with pink blotches red eyes red hair features very negroid and ugly and he goes on to say mosquitoes at night when the moon rose heard shouts and drumming in distant villages past a bad night. And so so we have all those things, you know, at our disposal. And uh, uh, I'm going to be covering more of this as we go through this. So I hope that helped you today. And uh, uh, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we will begin our discussion of Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. You can buy Heart of Darkness at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You also may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. Now, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So, until next time... Keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.